What's up, guys? Welcome to the View from the Front podcast, a fast-moving, fun, military defense news podcast. For those who don't know, my name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior Marine and journalist. Every week, I primarily do three things. First, I work to highlight what our military troops are doing around the world, while also trying to better educate Americans about looming hotspots and foreign policy news you absolutely should know. Second, I attempt to unite our country and remind us of how lucky we are to live in America. Our division and animosity toward each other is dangerous, and I want to do my small part to remind us that more unites us than divides us, and that most Americans are good and not screaming crazy extremists like you see on the news all the time. Finally, I always share plenty of motivation and wisdom at the end of each episode because I want to do my small part to help encourage you and lift you up. Life is certainly hard, and I think it's fair to say all of us need all the motivation and encouragement that we can possibly get. Every Thursday, I produce this podcast, so if you haven't signed up yet, I'd appreciate if you did. All episodes are ad-free, and it's completely free to sign up and join the email list, or you can help sustain and support the show for $5 per month. Subscribing will also get you the View from the Front Extended, which is a daily newsletter that I put out Monday through Friday each day, usually in the morning. You can find out how to subscribe from my Substack page, which is stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. And with that out of the way, let's get started. This is the March 16th edition, and we're really glad to hear have you here. As you've heard in the updated intro, I have launched something new, which I will briefly talk about for just a second. And that new thing is something called the View from the Front Extended. And what that is is just something that I'm going to do uh, Monday to Friday in the mornings, just a little daily news update. And I wanted to do it because it's just a way to provide some value to the subscribers and those people who are supporting the show. So it's just basically daily update with some news. I'm going to put a little bit of motivation in each one, and they will just be an email. So it's just going to be an email with some links of things that I have curated. It's not a podcast, but like I said, I'm going to do that Monday to Friday in the mornings. And so if you haven't already subscribed and you were on the fence, maybe that's something that will uh, push you over a bit. We actually started that this week. I sent an announcement out on Sunday, and so far the reception has been pretty amazing. And the folks, as I said, it's only for paid subscribers, but the paid subscribers have been leaving some great comments, asking some great questions, and so uh, I kind of hope it becomes this little place where it's kind of like a small community that we can hang out and talk among ourselves behind a paywall without having all the yelling and screaming from idiots and trolls that you mostly find on Twitter and other places and social media. I will obviously keep this uh, small community uh, very well screened. Um, if there were to be someone who did subscribe and starts to disrupt the awesome community that I intend to build, I will uh, you know, delete them, block them, get them their money back, whatever, but I'm not letting anybody ruin the place. So it's a place that hopefully we can speak freely and build a community. So that's kind of the goal. Uh, like I said, I'll be putting that out Monday through Friday. So if you're thinking about signing up, that'd be awesome if you did. As usual, it's not something you have to do. I'm doing this no matter what. As long as I get enough to cover my time, we're all good. So 
thanks guys for uh, letting me explain that and we will get to the news there's been a lot that's happened in ukraine there's been some news in china and i've got a small update from iran so we'll just get straight into all of it we will begin with russia ukraine news and there are several things that i definitely want to make sure we hit there probably the biggest news is the drone that was essentially forced down in the Black Sea. Pretty much everyone heard about that, I am sure, through the news. But on the off chance that you haven't, I will explain what happened. There was a Reaper drone, which was performing some normal intelligence activity for the U.S. government that was flying in international waters in the Black Sea. And Russia did not like it flying there, I guess is probably a fair statement. And so they sent up two fighter jets who, or which conducted several close passing by uh, runs, so to speak. And they dumped fuel on the, on the drone, hoping to mess up its avionics and cameras and all. And then they also passed close enough to eventually clip the propeller. The Reaper is a, uh, a slow-moving drone that can fly pretty high and stay in the air for a very long time. But it's defenseless, and um, it's an easy target. And so these two fighter jets kept passing, dumping fuel on it, trying to get it to basically go away. And then eventually they passed close enough to clip the small, or the rather large propeller, but, you know, relatively speaking compared to these jets, it was a small propeller, and it bent it. And so this Reaper, which is a 30-plus million dollar drone, crashed into the Black Sea. Obviously this led to all kinds of big news, which is probably why you've heard about it before I talked about it. And uh, we've been updating folks about that on the daily emails from the uh, View from the Front Extended. So some of y'all have been getting lots of updates on this, including video footage. And initially the Russians tried to say that they hadn't done anything and that this you know, drone just had a mechanical issue and just went down. And then the U.S. to help remind the world that the Russian government basically essentially always makes false statements, I guess is the nicest way to say it. Probably more accurate to say they just flat out lie. But just to prove that the Russians lie about almost everything, they released footage, several clips of video footage that make very clear what happened. And so, anyway, this drone is down. The drone is in the Black Sea right now, and the Russians are trying to recover it. Now, making that more difficult is the fact that it is in very deep water about 4,000 to 5,000 feet deep. So the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, um, General Mark Milley, he said that he thought there would be almost nothing that could be recovered, especially at that depth. As you, If you remember, when we shot down the Chinese balloon, that was in very, very shallow water. And this is in very deep water. And so it's 4,000 to 5,000 feet deep. So... That's kind of the gist of it. Additionally, besides the fact that it's super deep, the Pentagon is saying it probably broke up into numerous pieces. And then finally, before it even crashed, the Pentagon remotely removed classified software from it. So before it even crashed, they kind of electronically zapped the thing. 
So there you go. Russia obviously didn't like the drone there, and so they did their part to drive it away. Now what's interesting is is the timing of it. I often talk about how, in my opinion, Vladimir Putin is not very strategic and not the smartest. He gets uh, way too much credit for his political and strategic abilities. And what's interesting is, is a couple of days before this drone event happened, there was essentially a huge opportunity for Russia, which is that one of the primary challengers to become the next president from the Republican Party, Ron DeSantis, said that the Ukrainian war was not a U.S. priority. Uh, DeSantis aligned himself closer to Trump, and he called it a territorial dispute. So you've got the two primary leaders of the Republican Party that are running for president saying Ukraine's not that important. And really, you could almost start to feel some momentum in the shift of the public opinion. Now, several U.S. senators that are Republicans spoke out against this, including Marco Rubio and several others that just said that, you know, DeSantis was wrong, that it's not a territorial dispute, and it was an actual invasion, and mentioned the war crimes, and that it is a national security issue for the United States. But before the drone incident, you could almost feel the beginning of a debate in the U.S. political circles as to how much should we support it, what's the deal. But again, as I said, Putin kind of overplays his hand, makes what I think is just a foolish decision, and they down a U.S. drone in international waters. And then they go so far as to lie and say they didn't do it. And then they have video footage showing, yet again, that not only do they do massive invasions and commit war crimes that are documented in multiple cities and hundreds of situations in Ukraine. We have more video evidence that they also make misstatements about even small things. So not exactly the best of days for the Russians, and the reaction is already starting to be pretty swift. The Polish government has announced that within the week, within one week, they will transfer four MiG aircraft We've talked a lot about the Ukrainians wanting aircraft, and so Poland, since this drone incident has happened, has flat out said they're sending four of them. So I think the aggressiveness of Russia has kind of once again sealed their own fate, and it's helped isolate them. I will also say that I saw on uh, several folks saying on social media that Turkey will now allow in U.S. ships into the Black Sea. They control the entrance, and in a state of war, they have not allowed U.S. ships in for any reasons. But there is talk now that Iran, or I'm sorry, that Turkey will allow U.S. ships into the Black Sea. So I'll keep an eye on that and definitely update folks on that as that begins to become clearer. Let me make just one quick sort of administrative note on this. A lot of times, I'm constantly following analysts and defense sources on social media. And a lot of times, I will see things that have not made the main, you know, main, I hate to use the word mainstream media, but that's probably the best word. But they haven't made large public uh, channels yet. Having said that, 90 plus percent of the time, these folks that I follow, and I've kind of curated them over many years, really, but especially the last year and a half, two years, 
And if someone's consistently wrong, you clearly would stop following such a person. And so they all kind of jockey for position on what they know, when they predict something, and when they're right. And in my own estimation, as I watch these various analysts, I'd begin to say, hey, you know, this this person's right most of the time, or this is not so trustworthy of a source. So if this person says something, I need to see it several other places. But I feel pretty confident even about the news from Turkey, given the couple of folks that I saw who said it. And I wanted to just give one other little kind of, I guess, piece of evidence in this, which is if you look at the view from the front extended edition from 315, which was yesterday, I quoted one of those sources that I give lots of uh, cred to, so to speak, uh, Patrick Fox. And he said, hey, he felt confident that orders came from the top. Now, he'd put out an actual uh, news post on this on his own uh, website. And let me just read what he said. He said, given Russia's need for aircraft in its current war with Ukraine and its low production capacity for new airframes, damaging an operational aircraft simply to take down an American drone in international airspace. So what he means there, damaging an operational aircraft, he meant that when this jet collided with it, there is some risk that you're going to crash or partially damage you know, a multi-million dollar jet. The jet that hit it was about the same price as the drone. It's a $30 million aircraft, but more importantly, it's an aircraft that can fight Ukrainian fighters. They had taken off from the Crimean Peninsula, so these are aircraft that not only could help defend if NATO or America were to attack, if you were the Russian, taking the Russian point of view, but they're aircraft that can be used in its current war with Ukraine. So you wouldn't want to damage one of these to stop just an unarmed drone, not normally anyway. So I'll continue what he said. Uh, Damaging an operational aircraft simply to take down an American drone in international airspace, entirely on their own recognizance, meaning this isn't like the pilot saying, hey, let me just do this, just just show off, we're going to do this. He said that would be a terminally stupid action for any Russian pilot to take. He said, unless, of course, they had specific orders to do so from higher authority. This leads me to believe they did have such orders, and the collision was a message. The content of said message can be easily guessed. U.S. back off. And so I'll link to his post, which he goes into more detail. Now, in this case, Patrick Fox did not have some kind of military source in the Pentagon. He's like, hey, we think this came from higher, uh, higher, you know, authorization levels inside Russia. This was just a guy who's been in the military, who studies this stuff, who says, hey, let's just use our head. Based on my experience, here's what I think. And lo and behold, so I put that in the newsletter yesterday, and today the Pentagon releases that they believe the authorization to do so came from higher up in the Russian military. So it's just one of those things where when you follow this stuff close enough and you have some really good connected folks who have a lot of experience and know exactly what is going on, a lot of times they're just ahead of the curve. And so NBC, a full 24 hours later, gets some actual three officials who spoke off the records, who had seen the intelligence, and they said the highest levels inside the Kremlin approved the aggressive actions. And so NBC then had a full story on it. But some of the analysts, if you keep a close eye on them, they had this story for more than 24 hours before it broke into any kind of, you know, mainstream news so just wanted to share that little bit to kind of kind of I I like to be as transparent as possible about the stuff that I share and post so that you can kind of see 
what my thoughts are, why I say what I say, and uh, I try to show the receipts because that's how uh, one should be, right? All right, so let's move away from the actual drone stuff, and let's talk about actual ground fighting. One of the things that was said since the last episode is that the Russian advance around that city in the eastern part, Bakhmut, we've been talking about that for months, has stalled out. And I wanted to read just a few paragraphs from a story that's in the uh, Associated Press. This is from the story. Russia's advance seems to have stalled in Moscow's campaign to capture the eastern Ukrainian city of Bakhmut, a leading think tank said in an assessment of the longest ground battle of the war. The Washington-based Institute for the Study of War said there were no confirmed advances by Russian forces in Bakhmut. This is just going to be me stepping in for a second. If you remember, a week or so ago, they had made some advances, and Ukraine initially began to pull back, and then they rushed in some reinforcements because, basically for political reasons, they didn't want to be seen as withdrawing. So they have obviously stabilized it. I reported a week or two ago that they had flooded a few places. Uh, they had blown a couple bridges, you know, um, busted up some dams so that a couple areas were flooded. They basically s stabilized the situation. So I will continue with the story. Russian forces and units from the Kremlin-controlled paramilitary group Wagner continued to launch ground attacks in the city, but there is no evidence that they were able to make any progress the ISW said. So obviously the ISW is the Institute for the Study of War. And then the final paragraph I'll quote is, the founder of the Wagner Group, uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin, said Sunday on the Telegram messaging app that the situation in Bakhmut was, quote, difficult, very difficult, with the enemy fighting for each meter. So I did want to update you that after the president of Ukraine said the place was important, even though strategically it's not important, it's mostly a, we've talked about this before, it used to be a city of 70,000, it's just got a few thousand people, it has no strategic value, but to keep the West from having the media overplay it and make it look like a loss, Ukraine has decided to hold it, and since they have made that decision, they are clearly holding it and holding it quite well. Actually, you know, just an addendum to that, since that story sprung, that story was from Monday, I've not even hardly mentioned Bogmut mentioned, so they have really reinforced and made Russia pay for wanting to advance there. So let's move to some China news, and there has been some decent China news, but one thing, the thing I wanted to cover first is pretty big deal. And what that is, is that China almost in apparent pretty serious secrecy, managed to negotiate a truce in the Middle East. And as I said at the time when I saw this a few days ago, you know, China has shown like increasing might and power in the Middle East. And they've proven yet again that they're continually growing and expanding power. And they clearly want to rival or parallel, if not surpass the United States. We've talked about in previous podcast about things they were doing in Africa and other places where they've moved some military troops and um, some, I guess, training exercises as they've just tried to expand their power using mostly the power of the purse. But this was, I have to give them props, um, quite a feat. And 
I'll just share part of the story. And again, this is a truce that China negotiated between Iran and Saudi Arabia. As you hopefully recall, Iran and Saudi Arabia are absolute, complete, total enemies. They are split on religion, one Shia, one is Sunni. They are also two of the largest powers in the Middle East, and they have always been rivals. And they have, each side has allies that are either kind of on the Iran side of the ledger or on the Saudi Arabian side of the ledger. So I'm going to read just a paragraph from the story a few uh, days ago. This is from uh, NPR, actually. From the story. After years of hostility, Iran and Saudi Arabia have agreed to reestablish relations. This tentative peace was brokered by China after it was announced that officials from the three countries had met in Beijing for several days prior to negotiating the deal. This announcement from the three countries marks a new beginning of diplomatic relations between the two Middle Eastern powers and the reopening of embassies in Tehran and Riyadh within the next two months. So clearly they're going to open up new embassies in Iran and in Saudi Arabia. And don't get me wrong, this is great that Iran and Saudi Arabia are going to begin communicating better because they have been behind much of the friction and even much of the fighting that has happened in the Middle East, especially in Yemen. You've got Saudi Arabia on one side of that uh, conflict. You've got Iran uh, supporting, training, arming the other side. So the two have basically been fighting each other through proxies for years and years and years. So it's a, a great thing that the two are, you know, going to reopen embassies, going to reopen communication, and hopefully start moving toward less conflict between each other. But here's where, from the United States perspective, there's a bit of a, I guess, interesting kind of uh, kink in the plan. So I'll read the next line. China's involvement in the deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia comes as a surprise and concern to some, as U.S. relations with Saudi Arabia and China have been strained in recent years. So, there you go. So, on the one hand, it's great news for the the Middle East if these two rivals can begin to communicate and be in a less strained situation toward each other. But on the flip side, this was, like I said, some people have tried to dismiss it, but this was a big deal that China pulled this off. It's a big deal that we didn't exactly see this happening, or at least no reported intelligence of it. Hopefully, I certainly hope the CIA and the NSA had some awareness of this. I'd like to think they did, but it didn't make the public realm. So then this agreement comes out of almost nowhere. And so it shows that China wants to be like the United States. They want to be seen as a as a large power that can negotiate peace between uh, warring countries or countries that are in a state of tension. And so you got to give them props. Now, some of the I've read a lot about this since then. The other interesting thing, and we've talked a lot about the tension between Saudi Arabia and the United States. We talked about last year with the visit from Joe Biden, and then how at first he didn't want to go. He finally went. We hoped they'd turn on the, the gas pumps. They didn't, so they kind of leave him with egg on his face. And so what's clearly happening is Saudi Arabia is... Probably, if I had to guess, increasingly moving toward other alternatives than the U.S. And at the same time, clearly the U.S. is not exactly in the you know, happiest of positions with Saudi Arabia. So 
Some of this is probably Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia hedging its bets. They want another very large nuclear-armed power to help protect them and to make it a win-win financially. And so I think they've been out kicking tires, so to speak, looking for a new car to buy. And I think China's probably who they want. But it is it is something to keep an eye on. And it does show that China can make its own moves. And we've talked a lot about how China has been isolating itself. Well, here's an example of China, you know, breaking out from that isolation and probably hoping in their eyes, at least, that they can show that they can be a very large, more than just a regional power, that they can become a superpower and that they can be on the world stage as, like I said, just someone that can stand up at least at the same level as the United States and broker peace deals and and do other things. So... Definitely something for the U.S. to keep its eye on, and the U.S. is, as we continue to basically move forward, we're going to have to be on our A-game as far as how our, you know, our State Department works, the deals that we are signing across the world. We're just going to have to step it up because China's clearly got some very, um, very high ambitious goals itself. And they get to they get to make moves too. It's not like the U.S. is the only one that gets to make moves in this grand strategic game we're talking about. All right, let's cover two other things um, news related from China that I definitely would like to try to squeeze in. The first is uh, President Joe Biden went to basically a photo op in regards to that nuclear deal between the United States, the United Kingdom, and Australia. Um, we've covered this a lot last year. It's not really been in the news much lately, but essentially it's a three-way partnership between, again, the United States, the UK, UK and Australia, and they we will essentially long-term help the uh, country of Australia to have nuclear submarines that they don't have right now. Uh, these are very effective weapons in some type of naval engagement. They can stay under sea for a long time. They're difficult to detect or to counter. And so they're conventionally armed. These won't have nukes on them, but they would be a huge threat to any naval force. And so the idea is that you could kind of help um, the U.S. shoulder the load and the U.K. with another armed naval ally, that being Australia, which doesn't have the greatest navy. And so this would be a way to help make them stronger, which hopefully would help containment against China, which is clearly trying to expand across the world. So I've got, I'll put some, uh, I'll try to put some notes in on that. If you did miss this announcement from last year, I feel like we've covered enough, so I'm not going to go into too much more detail about that. If you haven't read much about it, definitely read up on it. It's kind of a big deal. Now, the final thing I wanted to cover regarding China is apparently they are still considering sending lethal aid to Russia for their the use of that lethal aid in Ukraine. We've talked about this, I feel like, at least two or three weeks, so I don't want to go into all the details of it, but I did want to read part of an editorial from the Washington Post, and they named it, just because this editorial is so good, just want to read just a couple of graphs from it. The name of the editorial, which is, of course, an opinion piece, if you're not familiar with that, but that's what happens in a newspaper. Several of their editors will have an informed opinion about something. So instead of like one person signing their name like Stan or Mitchell, it's like this is the view of the Washington Post. So this is several of their editors have gotten together and written this. And usually editorials are pretty um, kind of soft-spoken. They're usually very wise because there's multiple people. They don't make, they're not like throwing bombs usually. So 
did want to read this though from the editorial so again the headline was for china arming russia would be folly and it says for beijing which is of course the capital of china so for china to depart from its policy of pro-russian neutrality would accelerate its spiraling hostility toward the united states and reposition china not only as a u.s rival but also as a threatening adversary in the biggest conflict in Europe since World War II. Whatever else Beijing thinks it might achieve by replenishing Moscow's depleted arsenal, arsenals, it is clear that new weapons and munitions would enable Russia to spill more blood, pulverize more infrastructure, raise more cities, and lay waste to more lives in Ukraine, the victim of Russia's unwarranted aggression. And then later they write in that same editorial, it would also play havoc with China's commercial relationships across the world, likely triggering a cascading series of punitive responses by Western countries that would compound Beijing's already daunting economic problems. The Biden administration and its European allies have warned of such a response. So I only read that because it says, it states much better than I could state that we always talk about the fork in the road, and I keep hoping that China will not become some kind of power that thinks it can use its military, its very large military, to push around and, and invade neighbors such as Taiwan and other countries in that region. But this is one of those forks in the road where it's becoming clear to me anyway that if they decide to arm Russia, they have to know that they are seriously saying to the Western world, to Europe, to the United States, to so many companies in America that produce products in China. China would seriously be putting at risk some, I think, sanctions. And I think this is kind of that fork in the road where you start to go down it. And it's not like it's a guarantee or anything, but this is a very serious step in a in a path that none of us really want. This is you know, this is China almost signing divorce papers. It doesn't mean that the marriage can't be saved, but it is a serious, serious step if they do this. Because once you start sanctions, at that point you almost start to force China into some moves. It's just, let's just hope that they don't do it. Because uh, I keep hoping that that the leader of China, uh, Xi Jinping, will see that it's very risky what they're thinking about trying to do in Taiwan. And I don't I don't know that I'd like to think that they would see what's happening to Russia and what's happening to Russia's economy and that they would pause. But gosh, they sure seem to uh, continue to keep stepping up across the line and, and pushing it a little further and a little further every single time. All right. So we're going to move from there to some Iran news. But let me throw in the little about us section first. Just a quick reminder, if you love what you're listening to, please sign up for email notifications. It's free to do so unless you choose to subscribe and support what I'm doing. There is an additional benefit to subscribing, which is you will get the view from the front extended. That is a daily email Monday through Friday, usually in the mornings, that has just a quick summary of the latest military news happening out there, as well as my thoughts on some things. And again, that only goes out to paid subscribers and only paid uh, subscribers can comment on it, so hopefully we build up a little bit of a cool community there. People are always asking me on social media how to best support my dreams, including getting out future books sooner, 
Believe me, the best way to support me is by signing up for a paid subscription. You can find out all the details through my Substack page, and you can support through both Substack, Patreon, or Venmo. Again, all those details are on the Substack page. But believe me, you don't have to do any of these things. I've already had incredible support and feel called to do this. So as long as I'm making enough to cover the time I invest each week, I'm not going anywhere. All right, enough of the sales pitch. Now, I wanted to move to one other piece of Middle East news about Iran. We talked about last week that there were widespread school poisonings. Um, I talked about it quite a bit. It affects, you know, thousands of schoolgirls across dozens of provinces. And so I did want to share a quick update on that. Iran has arrested more than 100 people, but it's still not clear who's behind this. I'll try to throw a link in to an Associated Press story. But the short of it is, there are still two main possibilities about who's behind it. On the one side, I'll just quote from the story, actually. While Iranian politicians have suggested the girls could have been targeted by hardline Islamist groups, activists believe that the poisonings may be linked to the nationwide protest that erupted last September. Many schoolgirls have been active in the protest, removing their mandatory headscarves in classrooms, tearing up pictures of the supreme leader, and calling for his death. So, on the one side, the Iranian politicians and government keep saying, oh, it's these crazy religious people, blah, blah, blah. But on the other side, medics, parents, teachers, etc., they think it's actually the Iranian government trying to punish these school, uh, these girls. You know, they're going after the weakest and softest targets. And so, anyway, who knows? Again, I say this all the time, but it's very hard to get um, reliable news out of Iran but it just does not it's not a good look for their government that no one can seem to figure out who is behind these poisonings. So I had said I would update you guys if I saw anything new on the matter. I did see just that fact that they'd up you know arrested a hundred plus people. But that's still you know, they'll they'll probably treat these people terribly, probably torture, maybe execute a few of them, but that doesn't really tell us if these folks are even the ones behind it or not. So it's it's just going to be difficult to find out what the truth is on the story. So this is one of those we can keep hoping, but I'm not sure that we're going to ever get the real truth anytime soon on it. All right, so we've covered a lot. Let's get to the motivation and wisdom part of the episode. We've got about, I don't know, I think like 14 or 15 of these, maybe 16, something like that. So we'll just begin. Let's start with the first one. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. The ability to triumph begins with you, always. That's a good one. Believe in yourself, right? Next one. Success takes time, so don't give up. Uh, Such a good reminder. As I once read somewhere, we live in this microwave, instant results kind of world. And really, most things in life are like the crock pot. They take time. They take four to eight hours, not instant except you got to magnify that out into weeks, months, and years. But again, success takes time, so don't give up. Next one. Trust is the hardest thing to find and the easiest to lose. Oh, that is so true, is it not? Trust is the hardest thing to find and the easiest to lose. Next one. I know I'm going to make it. How? Because I believe in myself. It's a good one, isn't it? Man, we all doubt ourselves too much, don't we? Again, I know I'm going to make it. How? Because I believe in myself. 
All right, next one. Be strong. You never know who you are inspiring. Is that a great one, too? Be strong. You never know who you are inspiring. No, uh, speaking for myself, man, there's so many instances I could share about my dad and times he's motivated me and all. And I know he'll, he'll never hear that because uh, he's uh, not tech. He can barely use a cell phone, so he doesn't even know what a podcast is. So I'm not just saying this for him to hear it, but be strong. You never know who you are inspiring. Next one. It's strange that so much goes on in my head when I'm such a quiet person. <laughs> just thought that one is quite humorous. That is certainly me. It's strange that so much goes on in my head when I'm such a quiet person. We gotta learn to control our brains, do we not? Next one. Small steps in the right direction are better than big steps in the wrong direction. Oh, I love that one. Small steps in the right direction are better than big steps in the wrong direction. Next one. Be willing to go all out in pursuit of your dream. Ultimately, it will pay off. You are more powerful than you think you are. Go for it. Some more motivation, is it not? Again, it was, Be willing to go all out in pursuit of your dream. Ultimately, it will pay off. You are more powerful than you think you are. Go for it. Next one. Psychology says we have so many needs in our life, but at the end of the day, all we need is to be needed. Dang, that's deep, isn't it? Psychology says we have so many needs in our life, but at the end of the day, all we need is to be needed. Man, that one's deep. So similar to one from earlier, overthinking kills your happiness. Again, it is overthinking kills your happiness. Next one, no matter how hard the past, you can always begin again. I like that one. New starts, right? No matter how hard the past, you can always begin again. Next one. Great achievement requires personal force, determined spirit, and self-confidence. It's a good one, isn't it? Great achievement requires personal force, determined spirit, and self-confidence. It's a good one. All right, let's go hit a few more. One of the best lessons you can learn in life is to master how to remain calm. I feel like we hit on something similar to that all the time, but you have to control your emotions or you're not going to get very far. Again, it was one of the best lessons you can learn in life is how to master how to remain calm. Let's go to the next one. Imagine how incredible you'd be a year from now if you'd stop fantasizing about a better life and actually start building one. Ooh, kind of hits home for all of us, doesn't it? We all like to look at the photos of the house, the car, the trips... We watch so much on social media and watch friends and influencers and other people do things and we get jealous, we get envious. It starts to burn our soul up a little bit. But again, this one is, imagine how incredible you'd be a year from now if you stopped fantasizing about a better life and actually started building one. All right, next one. Never regret a day in your life. Good days give happiness. Bad days give experience. The worst days give lessons, and the best days give memories. That is one of those that's just beautiful. Never regret a day in your life. Good days give happiness. Bad days give experience. The worst days give lessons, and the best days give memories. 
That's just beautiful. Next one. The past does not predict the future. What happens next entirely depends on what you do next and on what you do now. It's a good one, isn't it? Just a good reset one. Just a reminder, though. Past The past does not predict the future. What happens next entirely depends on what you do next and on what you do now. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a great one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. For those who want to know a little bit more about me, here's the short version. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I left home to join the Marine Corps at the age of 17. I was also crazy enough to demand that the Marine Corps put me down for guaranteed infantry. I served four years in the infantry, saw enough danger to decide I no longer had anything else to prove, and I exited military service in 1999. I earned a degree from the University of Tennessee in journalism and spent 10-plus years in the news business. I worked initially as a reporter, but then went on to start a weekly newspaper. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013, but once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 11 books, and while I still have my sights set on the tallest peaks in the writing world, I'm now here as well, a once-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. Well, I've talked enough about me. I really hope you'll consider at least signing up to be a free subscriber. And if you can, consider at some point becoming a paid subscriber. Again, you can do both of these things at my substack, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work together to unite this country. And also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. And if you've got a dream kicking around in the back of your mind, go after it. If you have that friend or family member that you know you should reach out to, who you haven't talked to in a few months, reach out to them. And finally, if you're one of those awesome military folks listening out there, if you need help, please reach out to someone. Call a friend or a family member. Do it for us all. We've lost too many of the greatest folks that this country has produced to suicide. So I'm asking you to be brave once more and show some vulnerability. Take a deep breath. Breathe. Call a friend or family member, one of your fellow veterans, someone who can help. There's obviously hotline numbers as well that you can call. With that, I appreciate each and every one of you, every tweet, every share, every email that I get. I can't tell you how much those mean to me. Also, if you haven't already put a rating on some of the social media places that you listen to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts or some of the others, if you could drop a rating, that'd be great. We're trying to get those up because I've heard if you get them up to 30 or 40, then the algorithms take over. So that'd be a great way to help out. Finally, I should mention my books. I've written 11 of them. I've written a CIA Marine Sniper series. I've written a detective series. I've written a private investigator series. I've written a crammed, action-packed Western. I've written a motivational self-help book. And I've even written two realistic war novels, one about World War II, one about Afghanistan. You can find all of those books on Amazon. 
by simply searching my name, Stan or Mitchell, or you can find a link to them in the Substack notes. Again, thanks so much, guys, for joining us this week. And with that, I am out.